Good afternoon, Risen Hope. You guys can grab a seat. It's good to see all of you tonight. Um, if you feel at all that you need to find more space, there is an overflow room in the back, so, so don't forget that. Um, and uh, you can squeeze out at any point in time and grab a spot there. Let me pray before we open God's Word tonight. Heavenly Father, you are so glorious and wonderful and awesome that when we come to you, we need to ask for the grace of sight to see your glory in these scriptures. We need to ask for our hearts that are soft and ready to receive and embrace your truth. We need to have a posture of humility knowing that we are coming before the living God. This is not a religious experience. This is not a tradition. This is an encounter with the creator of all things. And I pray that our hearts would find an appropriate response for your glory and your worth as we look at you today, the fountain of living water. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week, um, if you uh, were with us, you remember we closed the chapter uh, three of the book of John with these words. It said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That was John 3, 36. The entire purpose of the chap- chapter 3 in the book of John is to show us how human beings can have eternal life. John tells us that it is through faith, through believing in Christ Jesus, something that is only possible by the new birth. John introduced this concept of being born again through a conversation that that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And he was a Pharisee, he was a religious leader. We spent several weeks looking at that conversation. Now in chapter 4, Jesus is about to have another conversation. This time it's not going to be talking to a man, he will be talking to a woman. This time, he won't be talking to a religious Pharisee. He will be having a conversation with a a Samaritan who has a broken past. And he won't be talking about the new birth like he did with Nicodemus. He will be talking about the reality, the glorious reality that flows from the new birth. And in this conversation, we're going to see Jesus model for us how you and I, who have been born again, if we trust in Christ Jesus, how you and I are called to love in this world. And so the series we begin today is going to be called, He Taught Us Love. Last series was, He he Brought Us Life. And this one's going to be, He Taught Us Love. And that, of course, is referring to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn with me to John 4, uh, verse 1. I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to read 26 verses in a row. And so I hope you guys went to the bathroom before you came. 26 is a lot of verses. I want to go through this passage here uh, and lay a foundation for this series. Um, And I'll explain what that means in a little bit here. So, So we're going to go through and read through this entire text. I want you to, in your mind and in your heart, put yourself in that 
place with Jesus as he's talking to this Samaritan woman. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I I perceive that you are a prophet Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So like I said, today's foundations foundations, we're, we're going to try to capture the essence of what we just read, that conversation. And, and we're going to try to do that today and then use that as a foundation to build on it in the coming weeks as we dive into the details of this passage. So don't be upset if I don't key in on the specific area that, that you felt I should or something different than you'd expect. Just be patient and God willing in the coming weeks, it'll be covered. There is an abundance of glory in this passage. And so what I want to do is I want to build a foundation underneath what we're about to look at. 
before we proceed. This story in chapter 4 of the book of John begins with Jesus heading back to Galilee, his hometown from Judea, because apparently the, the Pharisees have gotten wind that he's baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. This is a big deal. Jesus, of course, isn't the one baptizing. Uh, John explains here he's overseeing the baptisms that are being conducted by his disciples as he's teaching. And yet, <clears throat> it leads him back to his hometown in Galilee, which is north of Judea. And between Judea and Galilee is Samaria. And as they pass through Samaria, they come to a city called Sychar. The disciples, all of them, they go into the city, and they're going to buy food. And Jesus alone at this well. And while resting from his trip, he encounters this Samaritan woman. So it's noon, she's coming for water, um, and although it says in verse 9 very clearly, this is John's parenthetical, it says Jews have no dealings or, or associations, or they don't handle the same things that Samaritans do. Jesus, despite that, despite that huge cultural barrier between, between Jews and, and Samaritans, Jesus says to her these simple words, give me a drink. And that begins this conversation. And over the next few weeks, God willing, we'll plumb the depths of that conversation in its totality. But the, I want to ask this question, like, what is the main thing today? Like, what is the main thing that we need to glean from this conversation, just holistically across the entire conversation, what is the main point that Jesus is trying to make? And so here are three questions that I think are going to guide us as we ask that main question, what's the, what's the main point, what's the central point of this text? Three questions are this, and so if you're keeping notes, taking notes, or just thinking about it in an orderly way, here are the three questions. Number one, who is this woman? Like, what's her story? Why her um, in this text? Number two, why is it that Jesus engages her? Why does he say this to her? Why does this conversation take form? And number three, what is it specifically that Jesus is offering this woman? What is the gift of God that he's speaking about? What is this living water that he's talking about throughout this conversation? So first question, who is this woman? Well, she makes that very clear in verse nine. She says that she is a Samaritan. That's the introduction that we get to her. And in verse 12, we see that she actually takes being a Samaritan very seriously. She says in verse 12, Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us, meaning Samaritans, the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And we're going to explain in coming weeks the difference between Jews and Samaritans, why there is a cultural difference between them. But suffice it to say, she's very proud of this. She says the patriarch Jacob, them, the Samaritans, this well. It belongs to them as a gift from the father of Israel. In other words, he didn't give this well to the Jews. He gave it to the Samaritans. And so she takes being a Samaritan and not being a Jew very seriously. And we see this resurface at the end of the conversation in verse 20 when it, it shifts over to the style of worship or the location of worship. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, meaning you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Now, when she says that statement, keep in mind, she is not asking a question. She's not trying to figure out where Jesus stands on this. She's simply making a statement that creates a clear distinction and division between her and the Samaritans and Jesus 
and the Jews. She takes her Samaritan heritage very seriously, but that's not all of her story. In the center of this conversation, we discover that she has had five husbands in her past, and the man whom she's currently with isn't even her husband. She doesn't reveal this. We, we see Jesus actually is the one who reveals this. She simply tells him, listen, I don't have a husband to bring here to hear this message about living water. But Jesus pulls back the curtain on her life. And in doing that, he is showing her that he knows her better than she knows herself. Now, we don't know the details of those five marriages or of the man that she's evidently living with. We don't have any framework for that because the text doesn't provide it. And so it's best for us not to speculate too much. What is clear about this, and I think what everybody could agree about this situation, even the woman, is that it's broken. It's maybe one of the reasons why she wasn't clear about that. Like, whatever the situation was, it's clearly not how she had planned things to be. And Jesus brings it up right here, and without addressing it, without defending it, without trying to explain what that is, she immediately changes the subject to something else. And so, on the surface, this is all we know about her. This is all that we can understand about her. But perhaps the best way to understand who she is is to and, and understand really what, what's at the center of, of who she is is to understand how and why it is that Jesus is talking to her in the first place, which brings us to the second question. And that question, again, to remind you is, why is it that Jesus is talking to this particular woman? Why does he engage her at this well? Like, what is that all about? We might say, well, it looks like it's just a coincidence. I mean, he was on his way to Galilee. He had to stop somewhere to get a drink. Um, this is just mere circumstance. Maybe it's all just a simple product of a chance encounter. And of course, I don't believe that. (laughs) I don't believe that's the reason it was recorded, and I don't believe that's the reason that it happens here. For one, nothing in this world is simply the product of chance when you have an omnipotent and omniscient God at the steering wheel. The Bible goes to great lengths to show the pervasiveness of God's sovereignty over all things. But even in this specific context, we're given clues. For one, um, we see in verse 4 that Jesus and his disciples initially head out. It says in the text they had to go through Samaria. That's not a geographic statement. That's not a statement saying there was no way around. Um, it is a statement that is of divine mandate. And the reason we know that is because in the Greek, the word that is used there for had is day. And that word in the Greek is to express a a necessity. It is necessary for this to have happened. It comes from the word dea, which means to bind or to fasten. John always uses this in the text to show a divine mandate. He's saying here, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was constrained to go through Samaria. This wasn't an accidental encounter, is what he's saying. And it becomes clear as we go deeper into the text because we see that all the disciples go into the city. That didn't need to happen either. We also see in the Greek that He's sitting on the ledge or on the edge of the well. The, the language that is used there in the Greek is that he's on the edge of the he's sitting on the well. The only way for this woman to get water is to go through 
him. This isn't an accident. This is intentional. And it's clear already that Jesus knows her better than herself. He sees, when he sees her, a person who desperately needs living water. His entire conversation with her is centered around this reality, this this idea, this concept of living water. He sees her and he says, your soul is thirsty. I can tell. And Jesus might be the one that's asking for water at the beginning, but he can tell that she's the one that's actually dying of thirst. Jesus looks past her remarks about culture, about religion. He looks right into her heart and says, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. You are dying of thirst. And this isn't a physical thirst that can be just solved by drinking a glass of water. It is far more real, far more critical, far more important than mere physical thirst. It is an eternal thirst. She has a void in her soul which cannot be filled by anything that she possesses in her life, including a husband. Anything None of it can fill this void. And this thirst isn't just exclusive to this woman. She's not unique. This thirst is true about every single human being who has ever lived. All of us are just like this woman of Samaria. We are all broken and we're all thirsty. And we know that about ourselves, whether we're willing to admit it or not. We feel that in us. Jeremiah 2 says it best. The prophet says, my people, and he's talking about Israel in this context, but really this can apply to every single human being. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken God, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they are dying of thirst because they've exchanged God for a lie, for something other than God to fill that void. And they thought they could fill that eternal void inside of them with physical things that they possess in their lives. But the truth is, all of those things are broken cisterns. They cannot fill that void because um, nothing in this world apart from God can fill that void. And this is the plight of all mankind. This is not unique to the woman of Samaria. This is, it's not unique to like a group of people in the first century or anybody in between. It is, Romans 1 tells us very clearly, that all of us have exchanged the glory of God for the glory of other things. We've turned our hearts away from loving God supremely to putting our trust in, putting our affection on other things in this world. And so, Here's number three, the, question, the third question. What is the solution to this thirst? What is, what, what is Jesus offering this woman? What's going to solve this problem? Well, verse 10 is the first time we hear a clear answer to what it is. Jesus says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you He says, living water. This is the solution from Jesus. This is his answer to her thirst. Living water. He says in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
In fact, the water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus isn't just talking about a physical water here. This is so much more than physical water. This is more than something you you drink with your mouth. It is a reality that is far deeper and, in fact, even though it's spiritual, it is far more real than physical water will ever be because it leads to eternal life. And so what is this living water? What what does he mean by saying this? What is the gift of God that Christ is offering this woman? And right now, you know, if I can be real with you, he's offering all of this, all of us, this water right now in this room. As we read through this passage and as we hear this conversation, this isn't a request, this isn't an offer that's just terminating on a, a woman in the first century in Sychar. This is an offer that comes to every single human being who hears the gospel. So what is this? What is the offer? Well, John has already given us the answer to the question earlier in the text. Do you remember how John the Baptist announced Jesus to the world back in John 1.33? I mean, three, two, chapters, two or three chapters before this, he said this in verse 33 of John 1. I myself did not know him, did not know the Christ, did not know the the Messiah. But he, God, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom the Spirit descends and remains, that is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, not just with water, but he baptizes which is what we do in water, with the Holy Spirit. In John 3, 5, we read this just a few weeks ago. He says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water in the Spirit. He's tying the reality of water in our world, which we recognize, with the, the greater reality, which is the Holy Spirit. The living water that Jesus is talking about in John 4 is the gift of God. It is his own spirit. He is giving his own spirit. John 7, 37 probably says it clearest. On the last day of the feast, John 7, 37 begins, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out. He says this, listen, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, John says, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. Of course, John's talking there about Pentecost, when the Spirit wouldn't merely work on the hearts of human beings to to regenerate those hearts, to bring about faith, to cause the new birth, but the Spirit would be given in great power to everyone who believes. 700 years before Jesus comes, he says this, or or the prophet Isaiah says this about what Christ is going to do. Listen to this, Isaiah 44. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen. He's talking about Israel. For I, God, will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. 
And what this means, when, 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 when the Bible uses this kind of language to, de- to describe the reality of the Spirit of the living God, what this means is that water in our world exists not primarily, not first, to give us something to drink. That's not the first and primary reason for water. That's actually secondary. Praise God for that. That is secondary. Water mainly exists in our world to show us our deep need for God. That's why we thirst. That's why we drink water, to remind us we need God. Psalm 143 says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. That's the psalmist. Psalm 36 tells us, God, you give them, your people, drink from the rivers of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. The psalmist language could go on and on about this. Throughout the entire scriptures, we see these realities presented, this connection between the water and God. Our need for water is like our need for God. This is the living water that Jesus is offering the Samaritan woman in John 4. The gift of God, think about this, is actually God himself. That's God's gift. He gives God to us. And there is literally no gift in the universe that he could give us. And this is the only solution, the only way our thirst can be quenched. Our eternal thirst, both this woman 2,000 years ago and us right now today. The woman of Samaria is no different from us. No different from us. She has forsaken, like Jeremiah 2 says, the, the one she was made for, and she's turned to the ground to dig up out of this world, carve out cisterns which will always be broken and will always be empty. If she tries to find her worth or purpose or ultimate uh, meaning in anything in her life, even in the arms of someone else who she loves, even in good things, she will always come up empty-handed. Nothing in the world can satisfy the desire she has in her soul except for God. God alone can satisfy that desire. She was made for him. She was made to enjoy him. She was made to know him. She was made to love him. She was made to experience the joy of being in union with him and giving herself fully to him as her her God. This is why she exists. This is why all of us exist for this experience, to drink this water. We were made for God. And and I just want this to, to land on you. Since there is nothing greater in the universe that God could give us other than himself, this is literally the greatest act of love that he could ever do. Anything else he might give us that we want in this world will fail to meet our greatest need. And so he gives us himself. He gives us God, and even more than that, and this gets to the point, I think, of all of John 4, really. It is only through his act of love in giving us himself that we actually can love the way we ought to. 
That's the only way. Romans 5.5 tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Paul's language to describe the love of God. He says it's like pouring out water into the heart of someone. God gives us himself. This is how you and I taste the love of God by the Holy Spirit given to us. And through him giving himself, not just for us, the gift of God doesn't terminate on us and just stop. We experience his love and go on with our lives. But it's like a a river of living water that comes out of our lives and impacts the lives of others. It flows right into the lives of others. God's love, when, when when it uh, is applied to our lives, it doesn't stop. I think a lot of Christians live like it stops. You love me. But we're used, we're, we're, we're a means, a conduit for his love to flow to other people who've never tasted it before, who've never experienced it before. And so it courses out through us into the world. And in this text, Jesus is teaching us how to love. That's what he's doing here. And it begins with this gift of of God. It begins with living water. Um, It begins with him pouring his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can love just like he loves. And our hearts become springs of living water. What John 4 clearly shows us, and this is kind of the the foundation I was talking about at the beginning. It shows us that the only pathway to God, the only pathway to the fountain of living water who God is in eternal life, which is what we have there, is through Jesus. The woman had to go through Jesus to get to this water. There's no way around him. Just like Jesus had to go through Samaria, this woman had to go through Jesus. He is the only way that she could get this water. And the reason why is this. This is super important. The reason why is that Jesus isn't just the one who is offering this water to her and to all of us. Jesus is the reason we can have this water in the first place. He's the only reason we can have this water. Listen, and I, I, I don't want you to feel heavy with this, but kind of I do. None of us deserve this water. None of us deserve this water. This is not a water that we deserve. Jeremiah said it very clearly. We've forsaken the fountain of living water and we've carved out broken cisterns that will never, ever, ever hold water. What we deserve is to stay in that cistern and ultimately die in that cistern. That's what we deserve. We deserve for our thirst to consume us because we have turned away from the living God and the fountain of living water. But And you need to hear this part. This is the amazing part. Christ doesn't let that happen. He doesn't allow that to happen. Christ comes to us. He had to go to Samaria. There was an appointment he had to keep. And he doesn't just lead us to the fountain, but he purchases with his own body our right to drink from this fountain after denying it, after forsaking it. He gives his own life so that we can have this water. And we know this because John, the author of John 4, writes in John 19, 28, something amazing. Jesus, at the end of his life, he's on the cross. He's hanging from the cross. He's breathing his last breaths with 
the Mount Everest of sin on his shoulders. And he looks out across the world and he says these two words, I thirst. I thirst. Not because he needs water. He's about to die. Who cares about water? He's literally seconds from dying. He says this because he's thirsting for his father on that cross. He wants his dad. But in order to get us to the fountain, he needs to give him up. And he is on that cross dying at the bottom of all of our cisterns. That's what the cross is. That's the whole point of the cross. Jesus Christ is being forsaken by the Father um, so that he's being forsaken by the, the fountain of living water so that you and I can be received by that Father, the same Father that we have forsaken and rejected. The gift of God in John 4 being offered to this Samaritan woman and to all of us is not free. It costs God his own son and it costs Jesus his dad. That was the price. And what this means is the pathway to the gift, Jesus, is also the price God paid to get it to us. All of John 4 comes to us through Jesus Christ. In order for you and I to be brought to this fountain by Christ's nail-scarred hands and to finally at last have this eternal void, this thirst in us quenched was for Jesus to be killed by that thirst for our sins. And it's there on the cross where Christ secures for us, all of us, our own encounter with him at the well. The woman of Samaria isn't the only one who's had to go to Jesus or who's come to Jesus and found him actually coming to her. She's not the only one. All of us will be met by Christ. He meets us and pleads with us at whatever well we are, whatever point in your life that you encountered him, to turn away from the empty cistern and to turn to him the fountain of living water. And when we drink this water, when we put this water, the Holy Spirit comes in, is poured into our lives. When we drink this water, we are, not only do we recognize that God loves us, but we are set free to love like Christ loved. That's the foundation of John 4. Loving like Christ loved. Jesus is teaching us love by modeling it for us in this text. He's laying down his life, not only to show us what true love looks like, but to give us the very living water that will make that love possible, to give us the gift of God. And so in the next few moments, um, if your faith is in Christ, if you, if you love Jesus, you are invited and welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper. If you didn't see it on the way in, there's individual communion cups you can take them carefully and, and participate in communion when we sing here in the next few moments. When you hold those elements in your hand the, and the cup, when you hold that in your hand, I want you to recognize that those elements embody the two words, I thirst. That's what they are. 
the body and the blood are Jesus saying, I thirst. And so I would ask as we sing this song and as we pray and as we continue the rest of our service and really going on into the week from this point that you plead with God for this gift, not just a taste of it, not just the experience of the new birth, but to have his Holy Spirit poured out continually in our lives, to be baptized repeatedly by this living water that will never, ever run out. It will never cease to come to us. God, in your heart, that you don't want to be thirsty again. You don't want to turn to something in this world, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others in your lives who need to experience this living water. There is no greater gift in the universe that God can give us than himself. And he's done that. That's what this text tells us. And I'm just going to be real with you. He is, he is worth letting go of everything that you have in your life. He is that glorious. He is that awesome. He is that beautiful. He is worth doing that. He will satisfy you. He will prove to be sufficient when other things have failed you. He is that awesome, that good, that glorious. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you, Risen Hope, that you would, just like Jesus pled with the Samaritan woman, that you would let go of any broken cisterns you have in your heart or in your life and that you would turn your soul to the fountain of living water through what Jesus did for you on that cross, and that you would come and drink of God. This is the greatest need of the human heart. There isn't anything more important than this. I'm going to the the most important thing in the universe. Let's pray. Father God, Psalm 63, the cry of David, is something we need to embrace. We need to embrace this cry. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Father, help us to feel the triviality and the fruitlessness of the barren cisterns of this world. It is so easy for us. Even Christians who have tasted something of this living water, even Christians who have experienced your love in a profound way, we oftentimes move our hearts back to broken cisterns. We try to find our meaning and worth and, 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 and love in things that can never satisfy, in good things and in, in bad things, Father. Help us to be free from that slavery. Help us to be free from the, the barren wasteland of false fountains and broken cisterns. And Father, I pray that you would just guide us by the grace that is available only in Christ Jesus. As we sing this song, as we participate in communion, as we, as we contemplate your worth this week, that we would say, listen, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want anything else in this world. I, I want you, God. I just want you. I want to drink of your goodness. I want to drink of your glory. I want to experience your greatness. Help me. Don't leave me in this cistern. Don't leave me 
looking for water where it will not satisfy, grant to me eyes to see in your scriptures and a heart that wants to, to pursue you in prayer that will grant me this living water that I can come to God and drink of you freely because of what Christ did. Make this real for us today, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.